Hello, guys, and welcome back to the Cinema Slayers podcast. It is me, the bearded one, the Fox News of the podcasting world, because I am so fair and balanced, Sterling. And I'm also joined today by the man that will never actually be a cast man, no matter how hard he works, Justin. <laughs> hey, Cine fans, how's everybody doing? When I'm not in the ring hooking somebody by their head and driving them into the mat for a DDT, I'm sitting down watching, relaxing, and enjoying some movies. So how's everybody doing? All right, we're also joined by the woman who is fueled by coffee and wine, Heather. <laughs> What's up, everyone? Hope everyone's enjoying this, and thanks for joining us again. And then we have the man whose birthday is today and the only other person on this podcast with me that is a host that is a cast man, Devin. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you for making the choice to listen to the man with the caramel voice. And today, I am 32 years too many. Most people would say that know me. <laughs> Yay. Happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. Yeah, happy it. birthday. Thank you. I'm glad you guys came for, just for me. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. That's the end of the podcast. That's why we The came. end. Bye, right, everybody. Bye, Center <laughs> fans. Uh, send me money. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as a part of our Rebel Without a Crew series, the director of The Good Exorcist with Flush Studios and a fellow cast man himself, Josh Stifter. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right, Josh. So we're going to begin with the three questions that we ask every one of our guests. Wrong. All right. So we're going to start it off with what are your top three movies and TV shows? Top three movies and TV shows. Holy shit. That's a that's a tough question. Top we went three. right in for it. Oh, yeah. Right. Just chuck me right in. Um, I mean, my top three movies have to be like the like when you say top three, you mean like my go to is the one I want the ones I watch the most. It's like if TV, even if you've seen it a thousand times, you will watch the whole entire damn thing no matter what. Like the one that your wife is like, right? Why do you keep watching this movie? And you get mad. <laughs> oh my god, there's a hundred of them. I'm one of those like repeated watcher people. Like I go through obsessions. Where so my first one is going to be The Shining. And when I first started animating, I would watch The Shining like on repeat while I worked. And I don't know if you guys know this, but animation takes a long, long, long time. Like a three minute cartoon will take me six months. Mm -hmm. And wow, I, I started to kind of like I started to kind of lose my mind a little bit, and so. I would put The Shining on in the background and it would give me like this weird comfort because I could always just go like, well, at least I'm not that crazy. <laughs> and all work no play yeah that whole yeah thing. yeah i would get those i'd have those moments where i'd just be like my entire weekend like every single day was devoted to animation and i would be like all work no play so i uh i, I just put on the shining in the background and watch it over and over and over and over again uh my second is probably american movie have you guys seen american movie no no what is that uh, it's a documentary about this guy named mark brochard he made a uh he was trying to make a feature film in the like early 90s and then he decided to like scrap that and finish a short film and i can't really explain it you just have to watch it it is the most fantastic documentary ever made and it's inspiring and hilarious and stupid and it's fantastic american movie okay American movie. American movie. Well, I'll be checking that out for sure. I guarantee you'll enjoy it. Especially, you'll watch the first 15 minutes and you'll be like, okay, this guy's in on the joke. This isn't, I, this is like, <laughs> it's like a, it's, it's a parody or like a mockumentary. And about halfway through, you'll be like, this is not a mockumentary. Holy shit, this is real. This is happening. And it's fantastic. Um, and then last, I mean, 
I don't know if it's my favorite, but like m- most my my most inspirational movie, maybe in general, and you can see this in the Good Exorcist. I'm sure some vibe of it, but Evil Dead Two, I would have to say, because nice, it just was so influential to me. And oh, I said I'll swallow your sound. I swallow your soul. I was waiting for that during your movie. By the way. <laughs> That's gonna be in here. I could I feel it. I could feel that Evil Dead Two in there. Most certainly. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I love I love seeing like seeing Bruce Campbell just roll around on the ground by himself, like fighting with his own hand. When I started filming The Good Exorcist, like I, I, I Daniel and I had a week and a half, maybe two weeks, to write that whole script, and we had to get it sent to Robert because we Robert liked our, our, my shorts, and he was like, "Okay, we need this. We need the script by you know in two weeks." And Daniel and I didn't have a script. And he's like, do you guys have a script ready? And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I totally have a script. So I just sat down and started writing like crazy, trying to get something done in time. And I was basically like looking around the room for things that I would want Daniel to just roll around with. Because I had no other (laughs) idea what to do with this movie. So I'm like, okay, we have a priest costume. We have a couple of guns. I have a teddy bear right there. I have this weird red Batman telephone that I can throw in there. Um, I have Bibles because I went to I went to the seminary, so I had Bibles just laying around. So I'm like, okay, I have a Bible. We can light that on fire. Then they wouldn't let me light on fire without a stuntman. So that's a whole other story. But we had all of, I, I had these things. But the teddy bear was the one where I'm like, man, I got to make this teddy bear moment awesome because I just want to. I just want Daniel to roll around. Daniel's like six seven, six eight, and so my whole thing was like, I I want to put this guy in a bathrobe and just make him wrestle a teddy bear. <laughs> and just just point of reference, if you guys don't know from the show, if they don't say it, I don't remember if they do or not. But Daniel and I have known each other since kindergarten. So, wow. yeah, they do actually mention that. Yeah. So this was my excuse to have my like childhood friend, basically my brother, get on camera on reality TV covered with a face full of puke and roll around with a teddy bear <laughs> in a bathrobe. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> in, in my defense, the puke in the face was actually his idea. I was like, what if we just spray you with puke? And he's like, no, nah, man, we got to go all out. I want it to hit me right between the eyes. <laughs> That's awesome. That, that is a good friend right there. <laughs> and then, uh, so those, I'll, I'll put those as my three favorite movies or uh, most influential movies, maybe. You know, like favorites are kind of weird because sometimes I go through phases where like the thing might be my favorite movie one day. And then two weeks later, I can't stop watching. I mean, like right now I'm obsessed with Atomic Blonde. Nice. Like, I don't know why, but I'm just, like, in love with that movie. I think it's just the weird way the story kind of, like, jumps around a whole bunch. But, yeah. So, I'll, I'll go with those for my three. Now, TV shows. Oh, TV shows. Fuck. Um, I'm, I can cuss on this show, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, most definitely. Okay, I hope so, because I, I cuss up a storm. Um, have you guys seen... I'm going to put... Have you guys seen Summer Heights High? Yes. Oh, my... You... I love that. No. I love him. I love that guy. He is fantastic. Yeah. Summer Heights High is this weird show where... What's that dude's name? Oh, um, it's, Chris Lilly? Yes, Chris, Chris Lilly. Lilly. That's his name. Chris Lilly. You are correct. He plays three different characters, and it's sort of a, like, Christopher Guest-style mockumentary about a high school, but it is the goofiest fucking show, and I love it to death. Like, if I'm in a bad mood... There's nothing better than getting up like a, a beer and sitting down and watching Chris Lilly dressed as a high school girl. And you totally believe that this 30 something year old man is a 15 year old girl. It's amazing. Oh I'm so happy That's that hilarious. you know who Swain Jr. is. That makes me <laughs> <laughs> to you. You thought it was for your kids? Uh, well, fuck your kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, what's another TV show? I mean, The Simpsons, of course, The Simpsons. I mean, the whole reason I got into animation in the first place was The Simpsons. I used to get in these battles with my mom about it, it, The Simpsons was on at 5.30, and we ate dinner at 5.30. So every day was a battle of, like, dinner versus The Simpsons for me. <laughs> and I think that's where, like, what made me into an animator was me being like, fuck dinner, I want to watch The Simpsons, now I'm going to start making cartoons. So, you know, The Simpsons, <laughs> I still watch The Simpsons almost every night before bed. Did you ever just completely speak as Ned F Flanders during a meal just to anger your mother? <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I would drop lines from it, just like, fine, if you're not going to let me watch it, then eat my shorts. <laughs> and and, and just, just to be clear, I was like five years old when this was happening, and I was aggravatedly getting mad about not eating dinner because I wanted to watch The Simpsons. I think it's a valid argument. Nice. I've definitely had meals that I would have rather replaced with The Simpsons. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's like mom tried to get us to sit down at dinner, like as a family and have a conversation. But, you know, dad got off a long day of work. My sister is only a couple years old. And my mom and I have been bickering all day. And the last thing I want to do is sit down with those people. I want to watch The Simpsons at the end of the day as a five girl. <laughs> a normal family, of course. <laughs> all years, we're not going to speak to each other except on fucking Thanksgiving and Easter and, and Christmas. And that's it. Why are we delaying the inevitable? Let it in. Exactly. Um, man, and then my last pick for favorite TV shows. That's a tough... I mean, I, I guess I just have to go with, an, again, like the most influential, which was Arrested Development. I mean, there's an amazing amount of Arrested Development style humor in The Good Exorcist and in all the stuff I do. I just, I grew, you know, when the first three seasons of Arrested Development came out, they were like mind-blowing to me. I couldn't believe that they were getting away with those kind of jokes on TV. And still to this day, I can totally watch it and enjoy yeah, it. It still holds up. I think that's the very first example of cringe comedy that there is. It's just yeah. cringy. And I mean, it's so tied with that irreverent, just cringy nature of these awful situations where you're just like, I want this to stop, but I want to watch more of it. it I love it. Right. <laughs> And, and it was, it intertwined all these crazy stories. Like, it was cringe, but, like, you know, a, a lot of stuff kind of branched off from there, like The Office and all the other shows that were kind of cringe as well. Mm. And I think Arrested Development still intertwined this insanely deep, like, story about family. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so much depth to those characters and what your, like, what their interaction with each other and how that family dynamic works. And it isn't, like, it's the anti-sitcom in that it's so, like, not... It's never-ending with actually being like, this is how the family comes back together. It's always just like, oh, this family's fucked up yeah. still. I can relate to that. It's one of those shows. Right. Like, I go berserk on someone if they're like, yeah, I started on season two. I'm like, what? You can't just fucking start on season yeah. two. You're gonna start on season one. What is wrong with you? The question, though, of the three is so difficult, though, because there's so many other shows. Like, I could do top three cartoons alone. I could do top three cartoons by Matt Groening. <laughs> like, I, there's just so much, like, right. amazing entertainment out there that it's really hard to bury it in three things. I feel like I'm missing something Unfortunately, amazing. Unfortunately, you have to because we asked you the question and we're interviewing you. So, right. And I, I, I did it. <laughs> I, I think I pulled it off. I think I did it. Those are my top, my top three and three. And that was just the first question of the three. Oh, shit. 
Get ready. Yeah. So the second question is, when it comes to like movies and TV, what is your biggest guilty pleasure? Like, what is something you know is bad, but you love it and watch it anyway? Oh, my God. My wife and I are addicted to The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Like, we watch <laughs> it together and just mock it relentlessly. Like Somehow you, you that say- answer surprised me because your your answers are so like there's a big variety in it. And that one surprised me. <laughs> it's because like, especially after I was on Rebel, like this last season of The Bachelor, because I had just been on the Rebel when or on Rebel when it started up. Like, I can see how they're manipulating it. And I always like to just watch the mm. edit and go like, like, what? I'll, I'll watch and I'll be like, Jenny, like my wife's name is Jenny. I'll be like, Jenny, imagine this scene without that romantic music. And the second you pull yourself out of it and realize there's like four cameras filming two people who met two weeks before making out, it makes it cringier than the British <laughs> office. Like, it's so... And I love that. I love that I can watch it and just like, I want to look away because it's so terribly cringe. Um, that's my, that is definitely my biggest guilty. I was just going to ask you about now that you've been on a reality TV show, do you watch reality TV and be like, oh, this is that? Yeah. Because that's what happens when you get opened up to a new world. Like, um, I did training with Justin when he first started wrestling and, um, you know, when I would watch a wrestling match or something, now when I watch a wrestling match, I'm like, oh, he's building that heat. Oh, I think it's about time for a hot tag and, you know, and stuff like that. So I was wondering, do you, do you, um, do you communicate like that when you watch reality TV now? 100%. Like, I thought I knew how they were getting away with edits. I thought I understood what was happening. And now it's like, I see things that no one else sees. Like, I can see how the sausage is made, and it makes it more fun. Like, it makes it more fun for me, because I can go like, oh my god, you see how they're, like, getting mad at each other in this moment? That's because, um, like, the last two and a half hours, they've made them sit in a car together that's sticky and hot, and they didn't give them any water. Mm. Everyone's miserable and tired, and they woke them up at 3 a.m. for a photo shoot, and now they're throwing into a ro- they're throwing them into a room together, and they just said, hey, guess what this motherfucker did? Now go fight. Like, they literally do <laughs> oh my that gosh. shit. And so, so you, you can see, like, there's moments on, on Rebel where you, it looks like we went out of one room and then we went into another. And there was five hours between there of us standing around waiting. So we're so tired and fried and flustered and ready to go home and go to bed. Like, I slept two hours a night for eight weeks. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. literally two hours a night. At one point, I got, cause the lights were right out, not to give away too much of how the sausage is made or whatever, but there were lights right outside my room. And I can't sleep without lights on. And you can see in the show, we didn't have doors on our rooms so that the camera people could walk in at any moment. So there was no door and there's a bright light right outside my room and I need complete darkness. So in like week five, I eventually put my sheets over my bed and slept under my bed. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's ingenious. That's good that you did that. Well, ingenious, and I'm, and I'm also 5'3", 100 pounds, so I could actually fit under my bed, which my bed still had chains wrapped <laughs> around it from the exorcism of Jill sequence, because that exorcism of Jill at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie uh, it was my bedroom in the house. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's the first time you slept under bed wrapped in chains. <laughs> I just wanted to tell my wife when I got back that I chained a possessed girl to my bed while I was away. 
just to get her a slightly jealous. How was your day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. With our Rihanna. Do I need to do it? Is there another guilty pleasure? Is that where we're still on? The third question ties into the guilty pleasure. It's why is that your guilty pleasure? Uh, it's from, uh, well, it, I think it came from, um, I well, I, I think it started one time Jenny was watching it and I was making fun of it. And as I was making fun of it, I was getting really, really drunk. And I just realized how fun it was. Like, I've never been able to watch a bad movie and mystery science theater. You know, like, I can't, like, I, I get I get sucked into even the shittiest of movies. I can't sit and talk during them, because even if it's a terrible movie, like This Island Earth or something like that, I still am like, well, what's going to happen when they go to this to the other planet? Like, I get into it, even <laughs> the worst movie. And I understand how hard it is to make a movie, even the worst movie. But reality TV, for some reason, like, especially The Bachelor and Bachelorette, just because it's so fucking stupid. Like, it is the dumbest idea ever. Ever. So I can sit there and watch it and just actually mock them relentlessly. And I don't feel bad because they deserve to be mocked. <laughs> and the, and I, I didn't realize until later that that's basically when my wife watched it, too. I always thought she watched it because she thought people were going to find love. And then it wasn't until I sat down, and I'm like, oh, you're watching this because it's cringe, and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> That's why I married you. <laughs> right. No, I, I totally get that, because, like... Incidentally enough, in a roundabout way, that's kind of how I ended up getting into Harry Potter, too, uh, was my, you know, young one of my younger sisters was uh, reading, you know, reading the books and stuff. And, you know, I was an older kid and I was just like, oh, that's fucking stupid. Like, who the fuck's like, come on, this is just bullshit. And I was just making fun of her for it. And my dad's like, well, have you read them? And I'm like, no. Why the fuck would I read children's books like that? And he's like, well, you can't make fun of it if you haven't read it. And I'm like, are I'm like, all right, challenge accepted. I'm going to read this. And so I read like there was the first three books were out at the time. So like I started reading the first book and then I got hooked. And so I read like all three books over a weekend. And it happened to be like around the same time the fourth book was coming out. So, you know, my parents had already pre-ordered it for my sister. And so then I read it before even my sister read it. <laughs> and, like I was hooked like from that point on I'm like not that it's like a guilty pleasure because you know it's all like acclaimed literature and shit but like it was just one of those things like yeah I was making fun of it and then like I was kind of like forced to get into it and I was like oh no this is amazing and you know now I'm like ridiculous and I've got like two Harry Potter tattoos and all this other shit like right. I'm like deep in it now <laughs> well here's the thing like, I don't I don't actually see the bachelorette and bachelor as a guilty pleasure like it's just pleasure it's just fun for me to watch I'm not I don't feel guilty about it at all I'll admit it to anyone I don't care I don't really have guilty pleasures because I either like something or I don't I'm not really good at lying or like I'm, I'm that sounds weird but I'm not good at not just being myself like I suck at that so, which is one of the hard things about being on reality TV. It's just like trying to not be yourself because you know they can spin stuff in a weird way. But for me, it's it's not guilty. It's just I know it sucks. Like, I know it's terrible. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Harry Potter isn't that because obviously Harry Potter is great. People love it. It's a claim. It's not. It, it isn't that. But The Bachelor I watch because it's terrible. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I totally get that because like for me, like a lot of my guilty pleasures or what would be considered my guilty pleasures. I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, no, fuck you. It's just great. I love it. Like, that's all that I care about is like, I love the fuck out of this. Fuck you. Right. It's like my what? what 
my wife came downstairs one time and I like had Madonna blaring and she's like, you're listening. I listen to death metal and grindcore, like hardcore punk stuff. And I was listening to Madonna and she's like, what the fuck are you listening to? I'm like, Madonna, it's awesome. Check this out. Like a prayer is fucking amazing. (laughs) That is true. That's a great song. You were kind of like a few decades late on that one. I, yeah, it totally was. And it, and I, like that happened with a bunch of stuff like Rolling Stones in high school. I thought Rolling Stones were the stupidest fucking band in the world. And this past year, I've become obsessed with the Rolling Stones at 32 years old. Started <laughs> with you on that, actually. Well, yeah, no, that's re- that's really funny because like I always, you know, I always like paint it black because, you know, that's a great song. But like I never really like thought the rolling stones were you know anything really and then all of a sudden i like started looking at like their discography and like some of their songs and, and like i'm looking at them and i'm like oh no i like that song i like that song and then like i'm like holy shit no i'm a rolling stones fan right i think right. i think I realized i liked all these songs a big thing that happened what for me was like the spotify switch up where in, as a kid i couldn't listen to things regularly it was either greatest hits which felt like it was cheap because it's like okay they're only giving us the best of the best so fuck them mm-hmm. or or it was like, you know, my dad's CD collection or tape collection or whatever of stuff. And I was poor, like in high school and stuff, so I could only buy a few CDs. And I liked Grindcore and Death Metal better than anything, so I would buy Death Metal albums. Like, it was either Slayer or Agoraphobe Nosebleed a little bit later or whatever, stuff like that. But then, um, you know, now with Spotify, if it, I don't, I'm not spending any money. I don't feel like I'm wasting anything to just go like, you know what? I'm going to spend the day listening to Rolling Stones and see what I like. And then I realize I like all. <laughs> yeah. But all right. So we have been going for a little bit. So let's go ahead and get a quick synopsis from you for The Good Exorcist. Uh, the Good Exorcist is about a antisocial kind of awkward, goofy priest who... Uh, it specializes in exorcisms and he goes to a ranch to try to find out what's happening after a, a, a demon murders someone and madness ensues. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, when I was watching your film, uh, one thing that really impressed me is um, the guy who played Stanley. Who is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's Avery Merrifield is his name, and he is he was a godsend to this film because in the script Stanley was like a portly. He was described as an even more portly Jack Black, and he was supposed to be older. <laughs> and his his whole like point was he was kind of like the old guy who ran the ranch who was trying to hit on the younger girl who was you know like the maid or whatever, and. When I, when I did the casting, I couldn't find anyone who was that and, and would still be funny and would still be interesting to watch. And I was finding like younger people to play Mr. and Mrs. Willows because in my head, they were like, they were older and they weren't really that important. Cause when I first went, uh, when I was going to the show, I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to have good cast. I thought I was going to get people that they basically picked up off the street or like, you know, community theater actors, like not mm-hmm. good people. And then it turns out Austin has this amazing community of performers that are actually fucking talented. So Avery uh, was one that came over to me. He's like, hey, man, I like the idea for your movie. And at that point, I was so stressed trying to cast everyone. I was like, dude, can we just bullshit for like 15 minutes and not talk about my movie and not talk about that? Let's just talk about what it's like to make. Hmm. And I started talking to Avery. And after 15 minutes, I was like, dude, I think you might be Stanley. And 
he's like, yeah, can I read the part for Stanley? And I'm like, nah, I don't think you need to read it. Uh, can you hang out for like another 15 minutes or hang out for another half hour? I got to go to lunch because we were set on the schedule. So I had to go to lunch. I'm like, can you hang out a little bit longer when I come back? I just want to talk a little bit more. So I came back and I talked to him for another maybe 15 minutes. And I was, and, and my uh, reality crew, my producers were like, that's not Stanley. We read the script. We know, man, that he's not Stanley. And then I talked to him for another 15 minutes. And within, within that second 15 minutes, when I was like, Hey man, can you do goofy? Like, what do you do when you're like acting like an idiot? Or like, if you were taking this character who's like lived on a ranch for a while and he kind of has hots for the girl that lives there, maybe, but she wants nothing to do with him. And he started throwing out these ideas. And I was just like, holy fuck, you are him. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, I had him come back the next day. And he came and helped me figure out um, some of the wardrobe. Because I don't know anything about wardrobe. So I was like, dude, can you come hang out and be my friend? And just like, this guy I'd never met. I'm like, I need a friend. Come hang out and help me go through wardrobe. And he just wanted to be on TV and wanted to be a part of everything. And just was totally into it. And what happened was we walked back into the wardrobe area. And he tried on, he immediately pulled his shirt off because that's what's, that's what Avery does. He just takes his clothes off all the time. And he took his, he took his shirt off and he put on the 70s shirt and he put on these like really tight jeans and these ugly sneakers and he rolled up one pant leg. And I was like, why did you roll up one pant leg? And he's like, cause Stanley lives on a ranch. So I figured he would have like a scooter that he drove around and he would roll up one pant leg so it wouldn't get caught in the, in the thing. And I was like, holy shit, you thought about this character more than Daniel and I did. You are going to be the best Stanley ever. And that was the day after he read the script. He had learned that much about the character. That's awesome. So one part that was super funny is when they're, um, I don't want to give too much away, but who? Give it all away, man. I want everyone to know everything about this movie. Because the more, the thing is, is (laughs) the, the thing that I love about The Good Exorcist is you can't spoil it. It literally is the kind of movie that, like, the plot is pretty, it's pretty simple. It's pretty to the point. It just kind of mm-hmm. goes. But it's, it's, you have to take it in to understand. It's the punk rock, like, $7,000 that makes it fun to watch. It's the fact that you mm-hmm. watch it and you're like, how the fuck did they do that with no money? And that's why, like, the teddy bear, you can, I, I, I'll tell everyone that a teddy bear attacks them. I don't care. Like, there's no spoiler in that because you have to see it to believe that it. That was so fantastic. So don't yeah. be afraid to spoil it because I think spoiling right, so it makes people want to see it even more. There's a point where Father Glenn, correct? That's Gil. That's, Father right. Gil. It, Father Gil, um, he's uh, interpreting dreams, if you will. And uh, people are opening up about what happens in their subconscious when they smoke. And um, <laughs> so um, Stanley... Um, talks about this dream where he, he he needs to touch his penis really bad but he because <laughs> of his sock hands Edward's his sock, sock hands with his uh, penis of wool yeah. and they itch his penis write <laughs> <laughs> that script what was that yes. what, what did yes. that come about okay so that this is a this is a weird story so Daniel and I were hanging out and writing scenes and Daniel's like I've got this idea when when Maria smokes pot and they're hanging out what is Stanley talks about having socks on his hands. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean, man? And he starts laughing and he just looks at me. He's like, I just, you know, like, we can get socks that look funny for cheap. And actually, Robert has his own sock company. So maybe we can get socks from Robert. He's like, what if he has socks on his hands? And he's telling the story about a dream. And he's like, I can't, I have to cover up my nakedness with my sock hands. And then we cut into the dream and we show it in this, like, 
making fun of El Mariachi way. Because El Mariachi has these dream sequences. So he was like, what if we kind of make fun of El Mariachi, El Mariachi and parody that? And we show Stanley, as he's telling the story of the dream, we show him walking around in a hallway covering his dick with sock hands. <laughs> and I was like, okay, man, I get sometimes I'm just like, you know what, Daniel, we'll try it. And if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll edit around it. That's fine. And it was one of those scenes where I'm like, there's no fucking way. I was like, I went into it the day we were filming. I'm like, there's no way. And we get to the scene and we film all of Maria and Father Gill's stuff. And then I turn the camera on Avery and I'm like, all right, man, you're going to, we're going to have you shoot this, this, dream sequence conversation and then we'll go shoot the dream sequence and avery starts delivering this story and he's he's delivering it so funny that i literally was biting i made my lip bleed trying to bite it so i didn't laugh out loud the second time he said <laughs> penis made me laugh so like oh we, we we broke like me and the other camp one of the camera people from the reality crew broke we started laughing and Daniel's like, God damn it. Like we've had this amazing moment and we didn't think we could get it again. And Avery took that line, that, that story like four times. And after he took it, I was just like, dude, we don't need to film the dream sequence. Like we don't need to show it. It's funnier if we see your reactions to his story. And so we filmed the reactions and it totally worked. <laughs> like everyone loves awesome. that fucking scene. And it was one, it was a scene that I never in a million years thought was going to work. The spontaneity of filmmaking. Right, and that's Avery. Like that's one hundred percent Avery. He he would improv things and just try to make me break. Like his whole point as Stanley, like he learned day two the way he is going to get more screen time in the movie. The m way he's going to get more like more. F he's going to turn us as you know El Rey Network and Rebel and everything more into fans of him. Is if he's just himself, if he's just goofy, because that's how Avery is. And it, it was constant. Mm -hmm. He made me laugh so hard so many times I'd be in tears. I had to eventually start bringing a pin to set and stabbing myself in the leg <laughs> to not laugh at Avery. Yeah, like he... <laughs> it I'm did seem like kidding. you guys I, had a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and he... It, oh my God, it was the most fun I've ever had in I my mean, life. He, he definitely was a standout performer in there, man. I just have to um, give him all the props in the world. I mean, just even some of his awkward looks... Uh, his facials were just perfect at the mm -hmm. right time. I mean, he just had such a comedic timing, man. So, man, what a wonderful pick, man. Right? Yeah, definitely a standout performer. And, what, and what's and he and he, not not and not only that, he became my crew member. Like he could run lights, he could do everything. And he also one of the big things about about Avery is he wasn't afraid to try things. And what we learned, which I never would have done, because it's one of those things that's like. You never like roll on the on the rehearsal take in film. Like it's just kind of a rule. And we we threw that out the window. We didn't have time to not roll on the rehearsal take. And uh, so many of the performances that I used of Avery's were his rehearsal take because he goes so big and so goofy and he just try really hard. And we and then he take it down a notch for the next one. And Stanley's so goofy, you just want him to go big all the time. Yeah. So we just go for it. That, there's there's one part right after Father Gale shoots the teddy bear where Stanley goes, cool, and a piece of apple yeah. falls out of his mouth. Avery hates that scene. That was a rehearsal take, and he thinks it's so hammy and stupid, but it's my favorite, and I will not cut it. There, I was like, he's like, dude, <laughs> please 
cut the apple falling out of the mouth. I'm like, no, it's the best. It's so funny. I'm like, you will cringe for the rest of your life when you see it. And that's okay because it makes me <laughs> laugh every time. That's hilarious. I do remember that scene very well. Yes. <laughs> and my, my son, my five-year-old loves it. He quotes all the time. He goes, cool, all the time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yes, my five-year-old has seen the movie. Avery Avery was also in Scarlet's Phaedra, wasn't he? He was. He has a mm -hmm. small scene in that, but he fucking steals the show in that moment. He's really fucking good. I have one more question yeah, just related good. to performances. Uh, one thing I really enjoyed about this film is how um, well-developed the characters were. I didn't feel like I was watching something that was rushed. I thought that everybody had their own defining personalities and characteristics. and um, The way you took... Um, Father Gill, and he seemed more jaded with exorcisms versus like everything is so serious. I mean, it really is just like a nine to five for him. Um, what kind of inspired you to to um, right. to take that like blue collar mentality to this man who performs exorcisms? What was that from? Right. So, I mean, I think we found it through. I mean, that, that was sort of the idea from the beginning. Is we wanted Father Gill to basically be this. This guy who it is, I mean, I work a blue collar job. Like I've, I've worked blue collar jobs my whole life. I had a, I had a overnight job at FedEx for five years. And so that idea of just like going to work, you know, listening, he, he listens to music, like dances to, to metal as he's going to the first exorcism. That's essentially me riding the bus to work every morning, listening to death metal. Like that's, there's a lot of just, normal blue collar mentality in that but a lot of father gill and his like lack of real like passion towards it is we always we have this understanding that we never say in the movie but father gill doesn't believe in god like father gill sees demons he sees devils he sees all of this stuff why is there never an opposition why is he doing the work of god when god could easily fix all this so every time we started talking about like what what is Father Gill's motivation in you know some of the more serious moments especially like when he's sitting there reading through this book what is his what, what's his facial reaction like what is he thinking as he's reading through the Bible or reading through something else and for for me it was it was always just like dude make a face as if you're like you don't really believe what you're looking at like you've seen all this stuff you don't even know if you can fix this like what's the point so we, we a lot of times went with that, which is a very serious idea in a very stupid movie. And I think that's why the movie is interesting to watch. It isn't just joke, 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 joke. There is a lot of like obvious thought into the character because I love character studies. I, I'm not interested in anything but finding these characters and bringing them to life. Yeah. And I actually, that was something for me that I really enjoyed about the film is just the, it, it just seems like the dialogue was all very, um, just very well thought out. You know, it wasn't like just filler dialogue. It was very intentional, you know, even those serious moments, even the funny moments, everything just seemed very intentional and it just told the story very well. So I, I really commend you for that because for me, that just really stood out in this film for me. Thank you. I think the big thing was the fact that enough, I, I live by this motto of nothing is sacred. And Daniel and I wrote the script and we went into it and it's, it's easy to just say what's on the page. That'd be so easy to do. But we were finding the characters while we were filming. We were figuring out how not only these 
actors will perform the character best, but what this character would actually do. So, like, the scene with uh, Father Gill and Maria on the porch when Stanley's using the metal detector, we rewrote that scene five minutes before we filmed it. Because originally... That was one of my favorites. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, originally, yeah, originally um, Maria started the conversation. It started at her saying, like, so have you found anything? And we were just like, Maria doesn't give a shit what Father Gill's doing there. That doesn't make any sense. So we went back and we're like, how can we have this, like, sort of banter between them where we make Father Gill try to start the conversation? When he gets shot down, he's just like, fuck this. And then Maria feels bad because then we're sympathizing with Father Gill through Maria. And really, this whole movie is technically through Maria's eyes. Like, hmm. you think it's through Father Gill's, but so much of this is Maria. She's really the lead of the movie, if you boil it down. She, her story is the arc, not Father Gill. Father Gill just comes in, does his normal thing, and leaves. Maria has a life-changing event and a bigger thing. And we wanted to hit that really hard. As we were there, we were figuring that out. So... Um, that's why if you, and she's great by the way she did a great job in that role if you watch Rebel you'll see that uh, I kind of freak out trying to find my Maria and that's because that day when we were casting I was just like uh, I was like holy shit I didn't even think about the fact that Maria was the lead until just now like Maria's the most important character of this whole movie I cast Father Gill as Daniel when we wrote it but I never even thought about who Maria would be and uh, luckily, Beth helped me find Brittany, and Brittany was a fucking godsend. She as as well as Avery. Like those two were there all the time. They, I mean, my whole cast was amazing. I keep calling everyone godsends. They all were. They all. Without, no, it's true though. Without a single one of them, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I mean, literally, the car that Maria drives, her like dope hot rod that's flamed out or whatever. That's John's. That's uh uh Mr. Willows, the guy who plays Mr. Willows. That's his car. <laughs> yeah, awesome. It, that wasn't in the script. Originally, they were supposed to be driving Father Gill's car, and I call or and John was like, "Hey, man, I got this really sweet car that you might want to use in the movie." And the day he I, he sent me a picture, and I'm like, "Ah, uh, yeah, of course I want to fucking use that in the movie." But Father Gill wouldn't drive that car. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I called Daniel, and I was like, "Hey, man, is it? You think it's cool if we rewrite it that Maria has a car and we make a and we make a joke out of it?" And he's like, "Well, why would Maria have that car?" And I was like, well, you know, she's making money because they're paying her something. She doesn't really have to pay much rent because she's living in a fucking back closet, basically. What if it's mm -hmm. Maria's car? She spent her money on a dope car and that's what she has. So we figured out right. sort of a backstory. So when you see it, even if you're like, why is that Maria's car? There's an explanation. If you really think about it and you don't even have to think that hard. It kind of makes sense that Maria would have a dope car. I have to commend her and her portrayal because, I mean, with crass characters in movies, I either, I either love them or hate them because I, a lot of people, I think they like to like throw us and just make a girl cuss a lot. And they're like, yeah, that's right. a crass character. But they forget the cynicism that that person has and the intelligence that that person has. And and that, that um the whole demeanor of just be carrying like a a weight that they're covering up and I think you could tell that with her through the whole movie from the time she stepped on you could just see that there was more under the surface and and she portrayed well you know I think a lot of the times you know they just kind of ham it up like I'm crash and I say fuck cunt all the time so that makes me a character but 
she just did such a great right. job of really layering that character. Um, I'm a fan of Betty, so that's that's fantastic. Right on, because that's like one of my pet peeves as well. I hate it when someone just makes mm-hmm. a character cuss to make them the cussy character. I hate that. That's my biggest pet peeve. So when I wrote Maria, I actually wrote Maria as the character that I would want to play. I wanted her to be small, like me. I wanted her to cuss a lot, like I do, but it's not cussing just because it's emphasis on things. And it's cussing because it it serves a purpose. She has a reason for saying bad words. And there, we never wrote it where it was just like, say fuck a whole bunch. She uses interesting bad words. <laughs> like, when she calls a demon a cocksucker, that makes me laugh. Like, I love that because it doesn't make any sense. There's no reason why she should say that, <laughs> except for that that's what I honestly would say. I would call a demon a cocksucker. So... <laughs> um, yeah, so I definitely didn't want her to just cuss to cuss. And if you if you watch, you'll notice like a lot of the cussing in that little middle part where you actually see her start to get possessed and stuff. It's she starts to cuss less and less and less and less. And then once the demon hits again, then she drops the like "fuck you, Gil." And I really wanted her to hit that "fuck you, Gil" hard. And so you know, because throughout the whole movie, the demon who you know I did the voice of. He cusses like crazy. The demon's always like, "Ah, fucking you, you fucking piece of shit!" And it's like making fun oh, of that, that idea you. as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, cool. I did the voice of the demon. I did the voice of the uh, the radio host at the beginning. The it, the Alex Jones ripoff, Adam Jones, mm-hmm. who's like on the radio, just like the demons are coming. They're gonna be here, and uh, and so um, that's cool. And then I did, a, I think I did a couple other voices in it as well at certain points, but I just, you know, I do animation, so I got used to doing, like, VO performances for stuff. So I just decided, originally I was going to cast someone else as the voice of the demon, and then the voice of the teddy bear, and then the voice of Maria when she's possessed, and I realized through, uh, in editing, I was like, oh shit, Abaddon is just one character. Like, that demon is just one character. It's not ten different demons it's the same demon just possessing different things so mm. i just did the voice of all of them because then it ties the whole thing together hmm. okay and i also have to say obviously father gill um who um is played by daniel he's the one that you were childhood friends with right so he he is so good in this role like and i was actually going to ask if when you first wrote this um, because you guys wrote it together, I believe, right? So was it always him as that character or it just happened to be like, oh, you do this character well, so why don't you play it? Was it written for him? It was written for him because we needed an excuse to be, be together on this movie. Like it was supposed to be because he had he had twin babies just a few, like literally the two weeks before we started writing it. And mm-hmm. it was a long, it, it was a whole thing. Like it was pretty brutal. So he was like, you know what? By the time the show starts, I'm probably going to want a little vacation, a little bad vacation. I was like, dude, this is going to be perfect. We're going to go for two weeks. We're going to have fun. We'll have some drinks. We'll make a probably shitty movie because we don't <laughs> really know what we're doing and we'll see what happens. And he's only acted in like two other short films and they were both by me. Like, he's never acted before. He's not an actor. He literally acted in stuff because I have no one else to act in stuff. So it just so became good, though. necessity. He's so good. But it's funny because his first couple days were pretty rough. He, he came in and he 
he realized early on or, or in those first days, like he can't memorize lines like the other actors could and he couldn't do it the same. He doesn't have the practice. And after two days, I told him, um, I gave him, so we got per diem for the show, like 300 bucks a week for haircuts and food or whatever. So they gave us $300 and I gave him 150 bucks and I said, take Avery out drinking. I need you guys to become best friends so that you feel so comfortable around each other. You're not afraid to flub lines. You're not afraid to, you know, bullshit and have fun and you're not afraid to help each other. So mm-hmm. I gave him 150 bucks. They went out and spent it in a night, got fucked up, came back the next day and Daniel's performance went from like he couldn't memorize lines to he did some of your some of the best takes of the whole movie he performed in the, in wow. that third day and it was just all a matter of comfort and i think that's a that's a huge statement to to actors out there like feel comfortable right. like find a way to feel yeah. comfortable because when you do he realized like okay he maybe can't memorize lines as much but he wrote the fucking lines so if he wants to rewrite them and change them slightly he can and God knows Avery fucking decided he would change lines everywhere he wanted. And I'm the kind of director who's okay with that. Like, I know I can still get the lines I need in the edit. Right. And if you want to, like, stammer through some stuff, that's okay. Like, as long as you're hitting the beats, that's the only thing that really matters, especially in a comedy like this. And it makes the movie feel more mm-hmm. natural. And that's when Daniel realized that, that, he just needs to become Father Gill. We wrote it for him. He is Father Gill. Like mm-hmm. he's he just has to be himself, and it works. Yeah, and it it really did work though. It was so good. Like he was just very eccentric and very just very unique. And I thought he did a great job. Yeah. You know what sucks? You want to here? Here's an interesting story about that flask. In the original script, he was supposed to take that flask. And uh, when he fights the Bible, he was supposed to throw it in the air and shoot it. And then it was supposed to spray water all over the Bible. And the Bible was supposed to light on fire. And because of union rules, I had to pay a stunt, uh, a stunt coordinator and a visual, uh, special effects specialist and pay an EMT to come on set. If I wanted to have fire and a fake and a squib on the flask and stuff. And oh, man. That, that cross that he pulls off and stabs stabs the Bible with, uh, Robert had placed in the house that we were staying in. Robert put a whole bunch of like random things around the house that he was like, hey, if you could find a way to use these in the movie, use them. He's like, these are some of my cool props. And that cross was up up on the wall and I'm like, fuck it, what if he stabs the Bible with a cross? And then Daniel and I kind of fucked around with that idea for a couple days and we just rewrote it. So that flask sadly had a payoff at the end of the movie and we just kept it in because we didn't want to change the script. Like, we didn't want to rewrite that much of the script. We had to keep moving forward all the time. And we just kept saying, oh, my God, in the sequel, he's going to fucking kill six demons with that flask. Like, we have to make the payoff completely worth it. This movie, uh, I really loved the opening sequence. Like, I just loved everything about it. The way it was yes. shot. The It had a real, like, almost like a grindhouse like Robert Rodriguez Tarantino feel to it. And I just loved it. Like I was sitting there watching it and I'm going, man, I could have totally seen that. This could have totally been a preview for one of those grindhouse preview movies that uh, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez had, where they just had these random previews of these movies. And I could totally see a good exorcist 
preview being on there. So I was just wondering, did you draw right. any influences from them as far as the tone of this? Um, because it felt like it really had uh, 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 it, it felt like I was watching something from them as far as the tone. So I was just wondering if you pulled any influences from them or where did you pull influences from? Oh, 100%. I went into this just going like, what is, what can I make that is going to be something that they'll enjoy, that Tarantino will enjoy, that Robert will enjoy, that Kevin will enjoy, Kevin Smith will enjoy, that all of those, all of the, all the people I look up to what will they watch and go like, oh, that's fun. Like, I mean, Father Trejo, obviously, like, that's what the character at the beginning, the priest who gets killed, that's an homage to, yeah, to Danny, Danny Trejo. Trejo. I, yes. love Danny Trejo. I, love, mm-hmm. I love that. That was great. I'm, I'm, my wife and I are going to L.A. tomorrow for her birthday. I, have a, I actually set up a screening of The Good Exorcist in L.A., but the actual reason we're going to L.A. is because for her birthday, she wanted to try uh, Danny Trejo's tacos and donuts. So we're literally taking a trip That's to awesome. LA to, to get Trejo donuts and tacos. Um, but you know, I think so. I, I pulled the influence from a lot of stuff, all the stuff I like. And I, part of this was Daniel and I, both of us went, uh, to a private school. We were in the seminary for a little bit and we dropped out and just weren't really into it. And when we sat down and we had a week and a half to write the script before we needed to send it. We not only did we go like what uh what do we have? We also went, what do we know? Like what can we write? And we know religion. Like we grew up with it. So we You could actually tell that in the movie, yeah. For right. Sure. So like, you know, they def- they literally Father Gill literally defines faith at one point. And we spent, you know, classes defining faith. So we knew we knew this stuff. But we also know Rodriguez movies like fucking crazy. We've seen them all a hundred times. Daniel and I have Rodriguez nights all the time. We'll just get together and watch El Mariachi or watch, uh, uh, especially like I love Desperado. I love, I fucking love Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Once Upon a Time in Mexico is a masterpiece, an underrated masterpiece of fun, silly grindhouse awesomeness. Um, you know, and then of course, Tara, who doesn't, who doesn't love you know, Pulp Fiction and stuff like that. So I totally took influence from them. And I mean, when I got to, when I got to the set, I, I mean, we, the scene that takes place in hell is where they filmed uh, a sequence for um, Planet Terror. And I wanted Daniel to be like kneeling in the same spot that Bruce Willis stood, basically. That's, that's awesome. That's cool. That's really cool. Right. So no, no one would ever know that, but for me and Daniel, it's like, dude, it's it's like you're kneeling, it's like you're, it's kind of like you're blowing Bruce Willis right here in hell. So <laughs> we just ran with it, and, and it was it, it was it was fun for us to be on those sets and have that that story to tell. Like going back to something you you said earlier with everything when you were talking about like your influences and things like that. Like I'll say this: like one thing when I was watching The Good Exorcist, like it did remind me a lot of like the first two like evil dead type of movies with like the way it mixed the humor and the horror elements and things like that and you know him fighting you know the most random objects like a teddy bear and a bible and 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 things like that and and a telephone and it, it really did give me a lot of those same vibes with a lot of that because like I mean, I'm going to agree with you, like of, of the evil dead trilogy, like evil dead two is my favorite. I think I know a lot of people always side with army of darkness, but evil dead two to me was so amazing. Like it, 
you know, the way it tells the story of the first movie, like real quick in the beginning. Right. And it then just goes from there and just the way it delves into everything and like the way Bruce just Campbell dedicates crazy. It doesn't care. It, it is. It's, it's this perfect mix of like insanity, but like it still in, in a weird way, it takes itself seriously. Right, 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 right. Just like, yeah, exactly. That's what Daniel and I said from the beginning. The good exorcist could never be. It, it, they always in their world are taking themselves seriously. Like we as an audience can watch it and laugh, but they're confused by something confusing or they're right. terrified by something terrifying. They're always living in it. To me, I kept comparing it to the difference between Ace Ventura and Ace Ventura 2. Like in Ace Ventura, <laughs> he's crazy and he's a lunatic, but everyone in the world around him is like, oh my God, they act like if you really saw him in the world. Like, if you saw him in real life, you'd be like, this guy's fucking nuts. And in Ace Ventura 2, everything around him is weird and crazy. And I didn't want that. I didn't want this world where everything's crazy. I wanted it to be this world where it's kind of the real world, but it's like this comical cartoon, like living cartoon version of the real world. That's awesome. That was, yeah. that's, that was a very good way to compare that. That's awesome. I think you just made Ace Ventura existential. How did you how did you do that? <laughs> right. Very true. <laughs> and you know, I, I I I compare it less to Evil Dead Two, and maybe it's just purely out of respect because I love Evil Dead Two so much. It's just it doesn't quite. We didn't have the time or the budget to actually do like the visual effects that they did, like the stop motion and stuff like that. I had to do kind of my own dumbed down version of that. But I also like the one of the biggest influences that maybe is kind of strange, but like Christopher Guest movies like Best in Show and um, Mm -hmm. and uh, Waiting for Guffman and Spinal Tap to a lesser extent, but Mighty Wind, those movies like the Christopher Guest movies had a huge influence on this because in the Christopher Guest movies, we're laughing at how ridiculous these people are. And Mm -hmm. it's very raw and real and the jokes don't have to hit like i don't care if people laugh at every joke you shouldn't laugh at every joke because every there's every sense of humor portrayed in one movie so you might like some people laugh so i've i've heard people like break into tears laughing when the record player says um uh the only the only sound i'm looking forward to hearing is the glorious shrieks of anguish as i as we demons face fuck your souls for a couple eternities like (laughs) people have bursted out laughing at face fuck your souls for a couple eternities and that's great (laughs) then there's other screenings with people or like people will watch it like my mom watches and she's oh joshua face fuck souls like you know (laughs) not everyone's gonna laugh at everything but I wanted to get like like Christopher Guest does, where he gets a little sense of humor for everyone, a little dry humor, a little reaction humor, a little slapstick, um, you know, a fart joke here and, you know, whatever. Like, it's all over the place. I like that. I like when you everyone can be laughing at something. No, and honestly, like, there's just so many subtle things in it and that's what i love like subtle humor is so great to me because you can look back on it later and be like oh i missed that before that's pretty funny like oh he intentionally did this you know and also i want to say that the the little cartoon informational videos (laughs) that were in the movie 
explaining like this is what an exorcism is and all that that was so great like that was that really made me laugh so i thought that was a really clever way to do it and show that he doesn't really take what he's doing seriously it was that was really well done oh yeah right and for me that was like some that was something for me where i i figured if i if my movie was too short i could find ways to write in more cartoons and just do it in post so like it was my backup Mm -hmm. plan and i actually ended up you know only using what was in the script because the movie turned out to be like the perfect length like it doesn't feel too long doesn't feel too short i'm happy with it where it's at so i didn't add any more or take any anything away i just literally did what was in the script except for i gave i gave the demon a couple more lines at the end to explain uh what happened when the girl got shot or whatever but um and there never once in the script said you get to draw your best friend on a crucifix with his wiener out which was one of my favorite things <laughs> i've ever got to do and the best part is like I just, I just pictured as I was drawing it, I just pictured Daniel watching the movie with his mom and dad. And I was like, I gotta make it obvious enough that they see it. Like, I need to make sure everyone <laughs> sees that I drew his dick. <laughs> 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 what an asshole. But no, I love those. Um, I actually challenged myself with those animations. I did both of them in one weekend. Yeah. So I, I don't know how you did that. They were very, very rushed, but I wanted to like, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like it did them in the one weekend. And I was like, if whatever I get done in the weekend, that's what's going in the movie. But I took one weekend. I'm like, let's see what I could get done. And I got them to where mm-hmm. they were, where what you saw in the movie. And I'm like, you know what? These are good enough. Like, I'm okay right. with these. I'm going to, I'm going to let these slide because I, they need to be punk rock enough that they fit with the rest of the movie. I could spend three weeks working on them and they could look like fucking Disney. But no one's going to, everyone's going to be like, why the fuck does that look like this? And the rest of the movie looks like trash. <laughs> I needed to make all kind of match. <laughs> yeah, um, I just love, I thought the animation was actually really good, especially since I know you only had two weeks to do it. Um, but it reminded me of two things. Um, I used to love to jump on new grounds and watch like Strong Bad and right. uh, like all that stuff. And then it also reminded me of Plasmids from Bioshock. Did you did you ever like uh, play Bioshock or did you ever oh, watch it? Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent a rip off of Bioshock. I'm obsessed with the Bioshock <laughs> games. I love those yes. games so fucking much. <laughs> okay, cool. I was just like, are you excited about the shit System Shock remake they're doing? Oh, I'm like, I am. I don't. I mean, I didn't play System Shock at all, so I don't have it as like a reference point. It's more a matter of like, I it, with games these days. I wait till the reviews hit, and if they're good, then I'll play it because my time is so limited. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even do that, man. I wait till the fans' reviews. The gaming right. industry is corrupt, and they pay people to say good things. So I, I wait for. Sometimes I'll wait six, eight months before I buy the game, so I can get the whole damn thing. You same, know? or it's for friend reviews. Like I'll, I'll call a friend and I'll be like, "Dude, is this, is this game?" My friends know me so well that they're. I'm like, "Is this game made for me?" And they're like, "Nah, you would hate this one." And I'm like, "What? It's getting like tens. Like everyone loves it. They're like, nah, you won't like it.'" And I'm like, "Okay." But like my buddy called me um, like three months ago, or right after I got off the show, and he was like, "Dude, I think you're really gonna like like Far Cry 5. And I'm like, "Eh, it's getting like 8.5s. I don't know. Maybe it's not." He's like, "Dude, you're gonna like it." And so I got Far Cry 5, and I fucking love it. It's like religious cult and just everything that I like. So I've been playing the shit out of Far Cry 5. 
Um, you like uh, you're you're really fascinated by religion. Um, are, are you religious? Are you a man of God? I am not. I'm. I'm. I was. I grew up very religious, but I'm. I'm a pretty hardcore atheist these days. And I mean, in as much as like maybe agnostic is a better way to describe it. But I. I, I love. I love religion as more. Like I love Greek mythology just like I love Christianity. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all very fascinating. Uh, I just kind of picked up on that. I was like, man, this is a person who has a lot of criticisms for religion right here. As I was watching that movie, I was like, oh, there's just a lot of little little jabs in there. Little- right, there's jabs, but there's also, I think there's a respect, I mean, I hope that there's a slight respect in as much as, like, I always, I saw Father Gill as a, as a Christ-like character, just there to help people and try to tell people to not be an asshole. Like, that's literally what Jesus was trying to do in the Bible. Like, he's like, stop being an asshole, everyone, please. Like, love each other. That's it. That's how hard it is. Stop stealing each from each other. And Father Gill is sort of that kind of character to me. And hopefully I get to explore that more in the sequel, so. Yeah, I I, um, I got that. And there was that respect. Um it just seems like you've had a lot of religious uh, conversations with religious people. I'm, I'm of the same ilk as you, but I've learned to show some respect because, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a in theory guy. Like, okay, in theory, this works out, but you, you gotta, you gotta throw our, our human, uh, derelict, um, nature in there. And that just, that just fucks everything up now, doesn't it? So I I just like that. There was was a mean spirited. No, I was just going to say with father Gill, he, he, He's the kind of guy who, if he died and he got to heaven and he showed up at the front gates, he'd be like, why didn't you guys show yourself? Like, that's what I always saw him as. Yeah. And also just just coming from the other side of that, where I actually am, um, I'm actually a Christian and I, I looked at it and I watched it and I, I actually wasn't offended. And I did see that there was like that respect of it, because also coming from that standpoint, you do see like there's a lot of humanity in it and there's a lot of the even if you are, you know, someone who believes in God, you always have those struggles or those trials or those questions right. of like, man, I want to do this, but this is really hard, you know? So I, I actually did see a lot of that respect. And that's, I think, why I liked that scene so much where the two of them are just talking on the porch because I'm like, mm-hmm. that's like a real conversation that people would be having about that. So that's, I actually did think that there was that respect. Yeah, right. It's totally it. It is not saying fuck you to being Christian in any way or form. Right. It's in fact, it's validating it in as much as there it, it exists in that world, obviously. But even if it didn't exist in that world and it's just parody, it's saying the same thing that Christianity is saying, like love one another and um the meaning of life, which, you know, we don't say what it is, but. You can kind of, if you really think, you can kind of figure it out. And your meaning of life is whatever you want it to be to you. So, yeah, that was a really um, big line that stood out in the movie to me was when he was talking to Maria and he said, well, this is your meaning of life. And I like how he personalized it to her. So that was definitely a nice touch with uh, the meaning that you were right. just talking and, about. And it actually, just to be just to be this jerk. Uh, it actually said something on that piece of paper. There is something that says, but I'm not going to spoil what it is for a little bit. I'm going to give it a little, a little time and see if people are curious. But there actually is my, it, it's literally my meaning of life. What I think the meaning of life is something I've thought about a lot, 32 really? years of my life. There, there's something on there. 
it will disappoint you if you build it up too much, but there's definitely an idea that I think is um, spiritually or like uh, the essence of of life. That's important. Man, I think a lot of people have to wait for that because that sounds interesting. <laughs> Thirty-five years? No, I'm just kidding. I, I'll, I'll give it away eventually, but I just want—I want—I want to give the movie a little time to play and see if people are actually curious as to what that's cool. It says on that piece of paper. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, I guess just to change the subject a bit, but still talking about your experience and everything. Um, can you describe some of the difficulties you had? on set, especially constantly being filmed with a different film crew following you and watching everything you guys were doing, it had to be tough to nail some of these scenes, some of these shots, and I'm sure you didn't have very many takes. So can you just describe some of the uh, obstacles you had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, everything was an obstacle with this. It was like we didn't, we had nothing. We didn't have time, budget, or like uh, the crew to make it happen. So everything was like the sound wasn't working or the camera didn't record or something else. A lot of those things you can see on the show. And it's just, we went in, it wasn't the, the camera wasn't the camera I used. So I was constantly trying to figure out like, okay, how does my ND filter work? How does my ISO work? Am I at the right ISO? All of this stuff. And, and I'm not a DP, so I'm okay with my camera that I own, but they wouldn't let me use that. So there was that struggle. I mean, there was a, a, Another TV show, The Sun, their crew came in and literally ripped my entire set apart. And they were, you know, running uh, nail guns and there was beeping trucks, like, backing up constantly. So my audio was c consistently fucked. Damn. If you watch my movie and you're, if you watch my movie and you're like, yeah, it was good, but the audio was, was pretty bad. I'm like, yeah, no fucking shit. The fact that it came out as good as it did is a miracle. I don't know how we made that movie sound that good because it should have sounded a thousand times worse. And we somehow pulled it together so it's not so obnoxious that you can't watch the movie. And that was my biggest fear. Like, my biggest obstacle, biggest fear, biggest, like, pratfall of the whole thing was this whole sound issue because I'm like, we're fucked. Like, I told Daniel our, like, second to last day, I'm like, dude, I don't even know if it's worth doing the rest of this because our sound is so fucked. And he was like, well, we'll ADR it. We'll figure it out. I mean, like, if push comes to shove, we'll make a joke out of it. And we'll Tim and Eric this motherfucker and just make, like, weird squeaking sounds for no reason and just make fun of ourselves. Like, we might as well finish it. And uh, somehow I was able to clean up the audio, literally take out beeps, find ways to clean it up. And I learned a lot about audio in post-production in, in those last few days, basically, trying to figure it out. Um, the other thing was we got through the first week of filming and I edited as we were filming. And this is something that no one really thinks about. I was editing while I was filming at night and then I was showing like scenes to my cast as we were doing it. And we got to week two and I showed them a scene that we had filmed in week one and they all or actually like a, a sizzle reel. I cut together like a reel, like a trailer for what we had done in week one. And my cast loved it so much that it made me scared because i got to this point where i'm like oh shit this is really are, are we making a good movie like we signed up to make a bet like a seven thousand dollar movie like this is gonna suck and now you guys think this is awesome and i don't know if i can keep up the momentum from week one 
So in week two, I was like, oh my God, I'm, if I fail these people, I am the biggest asshole who's ever lived. And that weighed on me, like weighed heavy on me. Um, that idea that I was going to let them down after I had brought their spirits up so high. So, you know, it's not, it was the emotion, the emotional roller coaster for me, plus, you know, all of these technical issues. So it was, I mean, it was everything was an issue. Wow. Well, that's really a testament to you and your editing ability and especially um, the people acting because, man, just going through it and watching it, I, I really could not tell. There was nothing that just stood out as, oh, that was a mistake or, oh, that sounded a little like, I mean, it's, it was, you guys cleaned it up really well. If you had all those troubles, man, you couldn't tell by the final product. So definitely a testament to your abilities, man. I mean, for sure. And and like you said, it's, it is a testament to the performances as well. Like when I was able to get into the edit and look at, you know, all of these amazing reaction shots, like there's a moment where Mrs. Willows played by Allie, uh, she, Avery says, they call it Stanley syndrome. And she does like the little, uh, quotation marks and she goes, Stanley syndrome. Like that wasn't in the script. Yeah. I was just rolling on her for her reactions. And that's stuff that they just came up with on the fly that I could cut to because we would always do a rehearsal. And while a person did the rehearsal, I would film the reaction from someone else in the scene. So we were getting reactions that we could cut to in the edit because I had no idea what I was getting. I had no idea if frames would drop out of this camera. I'd never used this camera before in my life. So I wanted to be safe and make sure that I could cut away at any given moment. I mean, and honestly, I didn't know if the performances were that good. Like, they can look amazing in person, and then when you see them in the edit, you're like, holy fuck, we fucked up. This is terrible performance. Like, uh, an example is that scene where um, uh, Father Gill leaves. He, like, he like takes off, and he's going to go, and Stanley chases after him. He's like, you're just going to leave her here? And it's like a really emotional moment. When Daniel and Avery film that scene, we all, like, after their first take, everyone on set, like, started clapping. We were all like, holy shit, that was a fucking performance. That was really good. And then after I thought about it, I'm like, well, was it good or was it good like a play? Like in person, it was good. But when we see it, is that going to be terrible? And we're all going to be disappointed. And then, you know, in the <laughs> edit, we see it and it really works. It feels really raw and real. And I'm really proud of that scene because that is not me. That isn't in the edit. Like the edit's fine. But that's in the performance, 100%. Man, awesome. Awesome. One thing I really want to say is, and I'm going to try to word this better than I did the last time I said this, but like, so when I was watching, when I was watching the show um, and everything like that, like I was like, I was like the movie that I ended up watching with this versus what I thought it was going to be based on the show really were two different things. Like I was, I was really expecting a lot more, like silliness and just kind of goofiness to your movie than what I actually got. And it was just one of those things that like, it was really fun, like actually experiencing what your actual movie was after watching the show, because, you know, like I said, I had this impression of what I thought your movie was going to be based on, you know, rebel without a crew. But then like when I watched it fully come together 
and everything like that. Like in a lot of ways to me, your movie ended up being the most ambitious because of the animation right. and the special effects that you then added yourself in post. Yeah. Like that was not something I was expected. Like, you know, like ultimately then you're like your movie had a scene where father Gill goes to hell. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's like, you know, and that's something that doesn't really come across in the show. But then like, when you see it happen in the movie, you're like, Oh, well, like that is super ambitious. Like, You've got $7,000 in two weeks and you're going to film somebody going to hell and you did it in a great way. And so like, you know, with your touches, like with the animation and things like that, like it really was one of those things where I was like, oh, this is a vastly different movie than I was expecting in it. And, and because of that, it was really, really enjoyable because I mean, it's, you know, it's because it's one of those things, like I said, I had I was preconceived like it was this and then I got something different and that just kind of added that little extra like bit to it all that you know, really kind of stepped up, you know, watching your movie, it really kind of amplified, you know, what I was watching with it. Right on. I mean, here's the thing. Like when I went into this, my biggest fear was that it, we would have, um, the, the project green light effect. That's what I've been calling it, where you, mm -hmm. you see the movie in your head as you're watching project green light and the movie in your head is so much better than what you're going to see on the screen. Because in your imagination, it's like when you read a book versus watching the movie. Like, so often the book is better because your emotions are so much stronger than when you're just sitting there watching it. And I wanted to make something that had all of these very ambitious moments that there was no fucking way they could show on the show. So that even if the movie wasn't good, people would at least be surprised by the animation or what the teddy bear actually looks like when it comes to life, because there's no way oh, to actually insane. show yeah. that. Like it's mm -hmm. all in, that's all in post. And that's why like one of my biggest things is like everyone jokes, like we'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post is a bad thing to say. If you know how to do it, it's not like for me, it kind of saved me because I was like, yeah, well I will fix this in post. Cause I love to make tentacles in animation. And I will fix this in post because, like, the perfect example of fixing it in post for me was that intro. I got bronchitis and I got super sick. And that cold open, it rained and the whole scene was supposed to take place outside. So I couldn't film outside. So we chained him to the bed. We changed the entire opening sequence. I had no idea what angle I was going to shoot. I hadn't even thought it through. We did that whole scene spur of the moment. And I got into the edit and I'm like, I fucking hate this scene. Like, I hated that opening. And then I started adding in the black and white and the film grain. And I started adding in, like, the tentacle coming out of the guy's mouth. And I added in some more tentacles that weren't supposed to be there. And I added the blood being sprayed on the wall. And I added all these little things. And now I like the intro. Like, I think it's fine. It works as a great little cold open that feels grindhousey. Mm -hmm. But that was, a, that was a mistake. Like, that wasn't intended from the beginning. That's where I had to save it in, in post-production because I didn't I wasn't able to film what I wanted to. I only had those actors, uh, Father Trejo and the possessed guest for three hours. They were only there filming for three hours. And we filmed that whole intro in three hours. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things I wanted to do with this movie was put stuff in that there was no possible way that they could show because I was going to fix it in post. And speaking of the show, um, with everybody that we've spoken to on uh, Rebel Without a Crew, um, everybody's talked about just how hands-on and how direct um, Robert Rodriguez was. So 
Do you have any stories about him and how he interacted with you on set or anything like that? You know, yeah, that's funny because he only came to my set once and I kind of made fun of him for interrupting my movie. <laughs> so you could kind of see it on the show a little bit where he says, like, <laughs> are, are you on schedule? And I'm like, well, I'm one shot behind, like making fun of him because he came in and <laughs> fucked up the shot. But, you know, my favorite thing about Robert and this in the whole process was he helped me with a few things along the way. But most of all, number one, he gave me the show to go on and film the movie. But two, he was like a friend. Like he was more like a friend where I would send him stuff to like, uh, what's the word? Like detach myself a little bit or remind myself we're just making a $7,000 silly movie. When I would get too in my head that it wasn't good enough, he would, he would take me out of it. There was one time, it was when we shot the teddy bear scene and Daniel had been rolling around on the floor with the teddy bear. Daniel had a face covered in, in, in teddy bear puke was wearing a robe and was sitting with his arm like wrapped around the teddy bear with a big smile on his face. And I took a picture and I sent it to Robert and I said, uh, you know, we got to send him one text a day or whatever. And I, and, and my crew told me like, I hadn't sent him a text yet. And we were five days in and they were like, dude, you let Robert know you exist still. Like you're going to come across like an asshole if he gives you this option to text him and then you don't. So I was like, well, what the fuck do I text him? I don't have any questions. You know, like, just text him something, like anything. So I took a picture of Daniel laying on the floor in his shit and looking all nasty. I sent it to Robert. I said, uh, this is what your $7,000 is going towards. And he sent me back a text that he that just said, money well spent. Or no, best money I've ever spent. <laughs> but yeah, he was he was great because he was very... With me, he wasn't necessarily hands-on like he was with Bola, like Bola and BK. Um, he was more... Like I said, a friend where I could, I could call, he would call me up and be like, Hey man, how's it going? And I'd be like, you know, I kind of just want to talk about the Simpsons and we bullshit about something for a few minutes. Like we got in trouble from Cece one time because Robert and I were bullshitting about cameras. We were talking about what camera we like to shoot on and him, he was talking about like how he upgraded from, you know, 16 millimeter to 35 millimeter to digital and like how shooting on digital changed the game completely. And I was talking about how I shoot on this $1,000 A6300, and we're bullshitting, and CC's like, guys, we're supposed to be looking cool. Quit being nerds. And this is, like, as we were walking out in the, like, badass shot at the end of the show, trying to look cool. So you see me hanging my head, like, I'm sorry, CC. That, I'm not hanging my head because I think it looks cool. I'm hanging my head because I'm apologizing to CC. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look at the show completely differently now, so... <laughs> Yeah, whenever you see me, just know that I'm a little bit in trouble in every single one of those days. <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, Josh, so what would you say um, is different about you now after going through this experience, after going through this process, making this movie, being on set with the camera crew for the reality show, and all the things you had to do, everything you had to do to make this film a reality – what do you think is different about you now that wasn't before you went in? Oh my God, I am so fucking antsy to make another movie now. Like the biggest thing is before I finished this, I was like, I always wanted to make a feature. That's always been my dream since I was a kid. And I was, I tried to do it once before I, my, my thing was, I was going to finish a movie before I was 30. I was going to finish a feature before I was 30. I turned 30 and I didn't do it. So for my 31st birthday, I, was my 31st birthday? I think my 31st birthday my 30th birthday, whatever. For one of my birthdays, 
I went out in the woods for seven days with Daniel and my buddy Keith and our buddy Strauss, and we tried to film a feature, and we failed like miserably, like really, really bad. And I came, we came back, and we we're kind of like, you know what? Maybe making a feature isn't for us. Like maybe it's time to just throw in the towel. And then, you know, we got this show, and Daniel and I went and did it, and we were like, it's probably going to be a lot like the last time. We'll probably quasi fail again, and maybe we'll actually finish it this time, but it won't really feel like our movie like it'll feel like something else and then when we finished the movie and we saw the final product and we were like holy fuck this is so us like this is like exactly what we were meant to do now we're so antsy to go out and make another movie every day all i want to do is go film whoa what you that? that's awesome man that that's really cool man that you had that experience and now you went from not confident in your abilities but now it seems like you're ready to start on the next project. So is there a next project? Are you already working on something? Oh my God, dude, I have so much. I finished, we just, Daniel, I just finished our next movie called Grey Woods Plot. It's about two dudes who go in the woods hunting for a chupacabra or trying to film a documentary about a chupacabra. (laughs) That's awesome. In an insane way. It's sort of, uh, it's my take on body horror. It's sort of like Tusk or The Fly, or something like that. It's it's kind of a Frankenstein movie to a certain extent. It's fucked up. It's definitely the most fucked up thing I've ever written, and I'm in love with it. Um, I'm actually going to I'm gonna act in it <laughs> with Daniel, because I want to push myself and try acting, um, and we're going to do it for $3,000. So, wow. Um, wow. Yep, so we're going right into that. Um, we actually, we already started pre or we actually started production. We filmed some stuff already. Uh, script is done. I'm in pre-production. There's going to be some, some, it's similar to the good exorcist. There's some mixed media. There's some animation. There's some, uh, VHS footage that has a reason to be in the movie. Uh, so, so yeah, it's building off of, off of the good exorcist. It's called Greywood's plot. Um, and then with that, we're going to film a behind the scenes documentary called starting fresh, where it's going to be all about what happens after the reality, after you've been on a reality show, finished a feature, you know, failed at making this movie once because that's the movie we set out to make before we went to the show. And Daniel and I came back and we were like, what do we do now? And I was like, what if we start fresh on Greywood's plot? Like, what if we just take it, we let what happened die, but we take the idea and make it something. And we both just fell in love with this insane movie. So um, we're doing a documentary at the same time about making this movie. And then I'm also writing, uh, I'm working on the, the feature with Scarlet. I'm doing a short film with Scarlet. I might be working on Alejandro's movie. And then I'm writing a movie called Keith that's about a, a guy who goes on a road trip with his two imaginary friends to kill his millionaire father. Um, and that's starring my best. Okay, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I and like then, that. <laughs> and then I'm writing another movie called Abscess. Um, that's going to be uh, hopefully starring Scarlet. That's about a woman who wakes up with an abscess tooth on the 4th of July, I think, on a holiday. We'll just say on a holiday. And uh depends on when we film, because I want to film in Minnesota, and either the 4th of July or Christmas, because it's either summer or winter. <laughs> but on the 4th of July, let's say, and she wakes up with an abscess tooth and can't find a doctor, so she tries to get like drugs off of the street to get rid of the pain. And it's in the middle of a drug war. <laughs> now, you know what? I've had an abscess tooth, and you would totally do that to get rid of that pain. You would 
the reason I wrote that script was because I wanted to I wanted to make the movie that I wanted to make a movie that was the most painful movie ever to watch. So that one's going to be agonizing because tooth pain is like everyone can relate to tooth pain in some way. That's fantastic. That sounds interesting. I can't wait to see uh, when you drop this stuff. That's that's super exciting. And then on top of that, I'm writing Father Gill and the Daughters of Lilith, which is the sequel to The Good Exorcist. Ooh, Lilith, we going we going way back. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> well, if it, if you need a villain for that movie to play Lilith, I do actually have a very small cat named Lilith. Nice uh, for the same reasons because I name all my cats essentially after demons. So she really is the mother of all monsters. So if you need <laughs> something, you can nice. use her. Well, we'll see. I might, maybe I'll need to have, like, I could throw it in as a reference, like a cat thrown in, just a, a cat named Lilith. Then we can have Lilith as Lilith. She is very photogenic. <laughs> I'll say that. She's very <laughs> tiny. Like, I mean, I've got two cats that are essentially runs of litters. So, like, they're fully grown as, like, as big as they're going to be, but they, a lot of people still think they're kittens. Sure. In a lot of ways, just because they're so fucking tiny. And, uh, but yeah, she, she would be a good Lilith. Cause, like, if she ever does, like, if she ever takes a shit on set, you'll understand why she is the mother of all monsters. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we so uh, Lilith, yeah, the story, if you're just, I'll just really quickly talk about this because it's kind of a fun tidbit. Um, the Daughters of Lilith is what they call, like, in the uh, Salem witch trials and stuff, they call them the Daughters of Lilith. That was the, like, witches are the Daughters of Lilith. And when we were writing Maria, we always, whenever we were thinking about who Maria is and what she what she is, we always called her a daughter of Lilith. Just because it would get us in the right mindset of like, oh, she's mm. kind of a witch. She's kind of got something something off about her. So as we were writing her, whenever we'd be like, man, I'm stuck on this moment. Like, I don't know what to do with Maria. I'm like, well, what would a daughter of Lilith do? And then it would always push us forward a little bit. Huh. Okay. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you don't, you don't have to get it. You don't have to understand, but it shows like if you put yourself... In the writing process, if you really find like little things, like Father Gill doesn't believe in God, Maria is a daughter of Lilith. It doesn't matter to the story, but it helps put the character have a gives the character a past and a reason. Yeah, that's true. That just kind of reminds me of like uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, where anytime the characters go uh, undercover, they always create these elaborate backstories to try to help them sell their personas whenever they're undercover. Right, uh, and that. That totally mm-hmm. comes from, I, lo- I love that fucking show, by the way, but they, they totally are taking that from their acting experience because they're all amazing actors. So they know that, like, as an actor, you have to dive into these things. Why wouldn't, you know, someone undercover do the same thing? Hmm. Yeah, that's true. All right, I'll start this off then. So when you, when you did Rebel Without a Crew, was that your first time going to Texas? Uh, no, I'd gone to Austin for my sister-in-law's wedding. But I, I filmed the wedding. We weren't there for very long. So it was basically my first time in Texas, but technically not. And the reason why I asked that is honestly what I want to get to is how much Whataburger did you eat? Uh, <laughs> not even close to as much as P. Terry's. I fucking loved P. Terry's. I was obsessed with P. Terry's. Well, see, that's like an Austin, like an Austin exclusive place. And so like... Okay. You know, for us that would like, cause none of us like lived in the Austin area. So, I mean, the one universal thing we all had, like being from Texas in general was, you know, we all had Whataburger at some point. I didn't actually have Whataburger at all on Rebel. It wasn't until I went back for South by Southwest and, uh, Scarlett and I got 
way under the influence and she found out that I had never had Whataburger. So we ended up taking a trip to <laughs> Whataburger and it, it was fucking amazing. It's a good call. Yeah. She sounded like she did the legit thing because <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I haven't lived in Texas for uh, what, what fucking year is this now? 2018. So almost five years now. And like, that's the only thing I miss from Texas is Whataburger. Like, that's legitimately <laughs> it. And when I know people have been to Texas since the last time I was there, I just have to ask them about Whataburger because uh, yeah, it, it. kind of helps. What, Whataburger is great, but P. Terry's is the... If you go to Austin, go to P. Terry's because it was my fucking... It's my favorite burger I've ever had in my life. And now I'm overselling it. And you'll get there and be like, this is okay. Wow. But I fucking... <laughs> it it might have been just the circumstance because I got P. Terry's on a sequester day. In the ho- they would send us to a hotel for a sequester day where we could just like sit and watch TV in our underwear and fucking hang out. Like it was just me by myself because you just would lose your mind after week three of being on a reality show. Right. So we went to, I went to a hotel. I snuck out and went and bought a six pack of 9% alcohol beer. And I downed all nine beers while I fucking ate P Terry's and watched Terminator <laughs> and Die Hard, nice. the two most dad movies possible in my underwear. Like, greasy and nasty and i just lived in it it was amazing <laughs> well the reason why you think that that's the best burger ever is because you just didn't have the green chili double from whataburger because that is the best burger ever i will i will live and die by that i think i'm going back to austin in august so i'll have to try that when i go in august i can't tell you what i actually got so they may or may not have that there because the green chili double in places in east texas it's like it's one of their, you know, burgers they'll cycle through every once in a while. Okay. But in the western in the western parts of uh, of Texas and like closer to New Mexico and stuff like that, uh is where they do the green chili double year round. So, if you can just if if you know you go there, you can ask about it. You know, yeah. they might be able to still do it or whatever, you know, but it really is. It's it's incredibly simple and it's just it is damn near like just God between hamburger buns. <laughs> I'm excited. Now you got me amped to try it. I'll have to find a time to get out there. If they don't have it in Austin, I'll find my way to the other side and have some have some of that. That's what you're talking about. That's good. That's some good news. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm in it. I, I'm always in it for a good burger. I love a good burger. I mean, I, my wife and I are going to fucking L.A. for tacos. Obviously, we we will we'll pay respect. You have your to priorities food, straight, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, what movie were you excited about, which you just couldn't wait to see it? You were so happy that it was going to be made. You went to saw it, and it was a piece of shit, and you just want to go back and redo it and make it the movie it's supposed to be. What movie would that be? Oh, man. See, that's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't really want to, I don't really want to remake anything, and I think it's because of so many experiences of getting excited for something and then being let down that you know, oh man, that, that kind of sucks because I think the new Lost in Space is pretty good. I, I don't know. That's a tough one. There's the biggest disappointment I might have ever had was watching. I was a huge fan of The Shining, even as a kid. And then I saw that made for TV Shining and I was like, God damn it. Like, why? That's the one with the, the snow lions that came to life, right? Yeah, it had like the dude from Wings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Stephen King actually prefers that version over the. Yeah. I, I, I found that so funny 
I mean, because I watched that too, and I didn't. I mean, I was like, I don't know when that movie came. I was like, I don't know, maybe eight or nine. The uh, yeah, same. I was, I was devil. Yeah, well, we're the same age, so yeah. But I had already seen like the first Shining because I was raised yep. in the house of quality, and when I say quality programming, I mean my parents let the TV raise me, and so <laughs> um, I had already exactly. seen the Shining. And- R rating didn't mean anything. Like, they didn't give a shit if it was rated R. <laughs> there wasn't sex stuff in there. Yep. I give him his asshole ripped out through his mouth. No problems. A titty? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Same. Dude, my mom would throw. Her. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same thing. That's fucking hilarious. I mean, yeah, that's what I grew up with, too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? You're just too. You're, you're such a like a nice person. You like refuse to critique. You're like, I'm not going to remake any movie. They tried the right. best they could, and that's the movie they made. Man, that's right because it's it's fucking hard. So many people don't make anything. Like I have a hard time shitting on anything someone does because they put a lot of work into that. Like everyone puts a lot of work into something. I mean, like I could shit on. I could shit on the last Jurassic Park movie, whatever it was, Jurassic World or whatever the fuck it was. Like, that movie did nothing for me. It bored me to death, and I didn't find any... Oh, I'll battle like, you on that one. I just... It wasn't for me. Like, and that's the thing. Like, you... I wouldn't even battle, because I don't... I don't care. You... Everyone can love what they want to love, and it, someone will find something in it. For me, it was like... I, I just didn't find anything in it that I liked. So, and I'm not, like, into the, like, expensive visual effects, so I just don't get into that sort of thing. I like the homemade effect. I love the, like, old school stuff. And I, you know, growing up with my buddy Daniel had a little brother, Tyler, and all they did was fought and bickered. And I loved that about, um, uh, Jesus Christ, I can't believe I'm, I'm forgetting their names from the first movie. But the, the little boy and girl from uh, Jurassic Park 1, from the original Jurassic Park, I loved their relationship felt like such a real brother and sister relationship. And then when I saw Jurassic World and these, they just get like attacked by a dinosaur that throws them off a cliff and they're in this ball and they're flying around. Then they look at each other and smile like happily. Like that's not what brothers would do. Brothers would fucking punch each other and see, try to run faster than the other. So the other got eaten. like that would never, they just wouldn't <laughs> have that relationship. I didn't buy it. So, you know, for me, it's like, I, I don't really, what I want to remake is like, Manos Hands of Fate. Like, I would love to do a remake of Manos Hands of Fate where I try, like, trying to take that and make an actual story out of it sounds fucking amazing to me. Or I saw this movie when I was, like, 12. It was called The Naked Jungle. It was starring Charlton Heston. And the only reason I saw it was because I was 12 years old and I was flipping through cable channels and saw the word naked and thought I could, you know, (laughs) jerk off to something. And then it turned out to be like Charlton Heston versus ants in a jungle or like on a plantation. I don't even think they're on a jungle. I think they're like in a plantation. And I just remember watching it going like, well, this isn't number one. This isn't going to stop me from jerking off. And number two, I want to make this movie. I want to make the killer ants movie. Like I want to make the killer ants movies, but I want to throw a bunch of tits in it. Like naked jungle, my naked jungle, a kid can jerk off to. And there's going to be giant killer ants. So like, did I hate Naked Jungle? No, but I would love to remake something like that in my own way. Yeah. No, that's I don't I don't I guess at the end of the day I don't have a good answer for that question. I don't I can't think of anything that I saw that I was like that was garbage. I wish I could remake it. There's things where I see it more often that I get like like Atomic Blonde where I see it and I'm just like fuck. I wish I could have made that movie. Like I wish I could have done that. <laughs> 
Um, well, is there something, maybe not something that you would remake, but would there be like a dream movie that you would like to do the continuation of? Like if there was a sequel that you could do for something that you really liked and you could work on it, right. what would that be? Like if you could continue something. Sure, like a dream project. Like I would love to do, yeah. I mean, I'd love to do someday, like when I've well-practiced enough at directing and stuff, I would love to do a James Bond movie. Ooh. Because I think I could bring an original voice oh, to a James nice. Bond movie, you know, something different. Because I feel like, you know, James Bond went through this phase where they just, they started out great, then they just became the stupid thing. I mean, which I still kind of enjoy in its own way. But yeah, when Daniel Craig came on, it just like fucking got rejuvenated. And like, Casino oh, Royale yeah. was, it was so fucking good. Oh, and, oh man, I love Casino Royale. Yes. Yeah, and Skyfall was a masterpiece. Like that movie, at the end yeah. of that movie where it becomes like, James Bond at home alone somehow. I'm like, how the fuck? Yeah, right. Who who okayed this? Like, who? Because you know he had to have gone in and been like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take James Bond, we're going to put him in his house, and he's going to put a bunch of traps. And someone in the room had to have gone like, that's, that's <laughs> fucking home alone. He's like, shit. How did they find out I watched Home Alone last night? Like, it, it just, it, it was Home Alone <laughs> with James Bond. I think I could take James Bond and like, put my own sort of spin on it that would be fresh and different. Because I just have such a weird sense of humor that I think maybe in 10 years or 15 years, James Bond could use. Um, <laughs> I'd love to do a Stephen King book just because I love The Shining, the movie, and I don't really like Stephen King books that much. So I would love to see how much Stephen King would hate my movie that I made. I am curious, Josh, did you like did you like the new It movie that came out? I did. Uh, I, I I liked it. My gripe with that movie is it feels like a series of short films. Like, I don't feel like it connected itself very well. And it felt mm -hmm. like these disjointed little stories that never really showed me this friendship that I guess I was expecting from the trailer and how people were talking about them. But, you know, again, it's that thing where I might have just been in a shitty mood, so who knows? <laughs> you know, another one I would... I would like to, and I think that's one of the problems is I think sometimes you're just in a shitty mood and whatever. Um, so people don't like a movie when they just didn't, they just weren't in the right mood to see it. And then sometimes they like a movie that's like, why did you like that? You're like, I don't know, I was in a goofy mood and I fucking love right. Dumb and Dumber. -er. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's a weird pull, but whatever. <laughs> that is a good point, though. Like, a lot of people don't consider that factor so yeah that's actually a good point well, like i went and saw or, or people build their your expectations too high like i went and saw um it's, it's called logan right the new wolver the newest wolverine movie i went and saw logan and i got like 30 phone calls from people saying like josh this is the fucking movie you would have made we loved it you'll, you'll love it so much this is going to be amazing and i went into it going like holy shit what is this movie going to be and it was really good. Like, it was great. But, man, was my expectations high. Like, my expectations were through the roof. And then I went into <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 2 on Mother's Day, not expecting... Like, I love James Gunn, but I wasn't expecting, like, a masterpiece. I'm like, ah, it's going to be another silly Guardians movie. And I got to the end of the movie, and I was fucking... It's the only movie I've ever cried at. I was bawling, and I don't. I was like, "Yeah, why it was I, great." I'm like, "Why am I crying so much?" And then I started. <laughs> what are these feelings? <laughs> right, I started dissecting it with my wife, and I'm like, "Holy shit! This is a movie about a dad who is never with his son because he's too busy." 
doing what he wants to do. I'm like, I related to the villain in this fucking movie. And then when I realized, no, I was relating to Yondu, like, I'm that dad. I'm kind of the dad who maybe isn't there, maybe is, you know, is busy a lot, but really cares about his children, you know, his child. It fucking, it destroyed me. Like, it hit home in such a hard dad way that I fucking, oh my God. I came out of the theater just, my shirt was soaked. I look like a fool on Mother's Day. My wife's like, oh my God, you (laughs) fucking tech. (laughs) If it helps any, I I had that same um, soaked face when I got out of it too, so. (laughs) Well, the the best part was I started crying and then I was expecting that because my wife cries at everything. So I looked over at her at one point going like, oh, we're going to share this moment on Mother's Day where we're bonding over like child relationship. (laughs) And she looked at me like, the fuck happened to you? Like, what's wrong? Like, she's never seen me like that before in 10 years of marriage. <laughs> That's funny. I'm curious just because I just talking with you and seeing your movie taste. Now, a surprise movie that I actually enjoyed this past year. I'm curious what you thought about it. Did you see Brigsby Bear? No, I want to so bad. I haven't seen it yet. That looked awesome. Okay, I'm so curious what you're going to think of that movie. So if you see it, you need to let us know because I just want to know your thoughts on that one. I think you will really like it, but I just want to know what you think about it. It looks amazing. And everything I've heard about it, I really, really want to see. And it's just, it is definitely my type of movie. It is good. Right on. Man, I want like, to I gotta, what, what, I gotta see if I can pick that up for my, pl- my flight tomorrow. I should watch that on a plane. Like Do one of my it. favorite things about Briz- Brigsby Bear is like if you watch the trailer and then you watch the movie, it's I'll, all I'll say about it is it it's in a way it's two different things. Like you you get what you get from the trailer from it and what you get from the movie itself are two different things. But like Brigsby Bear to me was probably one of the most heartfelt and original movies I saw of all of last year. Like that movie. Like what I was expecting, but then what's what I got, like to me, that was the movie that like was the emotional, like kicking the balls that I was not expecting. Right. Like it was, it's just, it's everything about it. Like Kyle Mooney, like every time I see him now on SNL, I feel tragically bad for that man. Cause I'm like, Oh, they are wasting your talents. You have so much more and they are just not using it. You are being wasted on the show. Like, if he's in something else now because of Brigsby Bear, I'm going to instantly jump on it because what he did in that movie, mm-hmm. nothing short of spectacular. Right on. Yeah, I can't it was wait. good. I'm excited. Now, I don't get to see that many movies because I work a full-time job, and then when I get home from work, I put my kids to bed, and then I work some more. So I don't really see all that much. Um, I, I feel mm-hmm. you on that, man. I, I miss I, just like watching movies and playing video games just whenever I wanted to. I mean, like right now... I'm just like, six o'clock is calling my ass. It is calling me. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I miss that. I miss that, like, being able to just, like, get in the car and drive to the theater and watch a movie and come home. Now it's, like, got to be planned a week in advance. <laughs> like, <except laughs> Avengers. I actually- yeah, I, ooh, man. I, Avengers, I told my wife, I don't know what the hell you're going to do. I really don't know what your life is like. But I'm I'm watching this shit. But it's cool because I have this podcast, <laughs> so I have a reason. I got like, babe, it's like it's I got I got a responsibility to watch all these movies. I got to, you know. Sure. <laughs> gotta watch. Right. <laughs> Mine was complete whim. Where it was like Sunday morning, and we were all like eating breakfast, and I'm like, "What do we have to do today?" And Jenny, my wife, was like, 
uh, we don't have anything to do till like four o'clock. And I'm like, all right, peace out. I'm going to a movie. And I just ditched. I just took off and left her with the kids. I'm like, I gotta go. And yeah, she was yeah, cool. Sometimes <laughs> every parent needs that. Just sometimes it's just like, all right, we gotta, we gotta go right now. We just go, all right, but I understand. I did the same thing with the disaster artist. The disaster artist, I just like pieced out one night. So w- is there any movie in 2018 that you're just really like really excited for is there something like upcoming that you're just like you've seen a trailer for and you're just like i cannot wait for this movie i uh, cannot wait for this movie i feel like there is something and it's just like let me think really quick i mean there's the obvious alita because of the fact that i literally was on the set and hung out with the cast and crew and like it's just cool to be in that world um i'm equally excited for robert's uh, $7,000 movie, which I, I don't know what I can say, so I'm not going to say anything, but you guys know Robert made a $7,000 movie, or is making a $7,000 movie as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm very excited for that. I know a lot more than most people do, I think, but I'm very excited to see the whole thing. Uh, it's my kind of movie, I'll say that. Um, you know, it's funny because I, I was mocking Jurassic World earlier, but I'm actually pretty excited for the the next one. Just because of all of the practical effects <laughs> stuff I've seen, uh, you know, like the actual dinosaur yeah. stuff, that that interests me. I hope that there's a lot of that. I'll probably be very disappointed, but we'll see. Like I'm, I'm willing to go into it like that. Uh, the Suspiria trailer just dropped yesterday, and that looked wild. I don't know how that looks great. I don't know how they did it. Like, did they? Sh- they must have shot it on 16 millimeter. They had to have because it looks like it came out in 1972. Like it's crazy how cool that movie looks. So I'm pretty excited for Suspiria. We really do appreciate you coming on, Josh. Is there anything like you want to plug? Uh, of course, you know, Good Exorcist, because that will be on Go90 and El Rey in the future, right? Right. And it's doing like kind of a festival circuit right now. I'm uh, talking with people about what else we can do with it. I have an idea of something I, I really want to do with it, but I haven't pitched it to El Rey exactly yet. I've just kind of toyed around with the idea of doing what I call the director's cut bootleg edition, which is essentially like a VHS tape as if it was recorded off of TV with fake commercials and everything. So we'll see if that actually happens, <laughs> but I don't know. That's awesome. Um, uh, and my Patreon. I do a Patreon where I post behind the scenes of The Good Exorcist, behind the scenes of Rebel, behind the scenes of my next movie. I'm going to be doing that documentary that's going to go on the Patreon uh, all about the making of Greywood's plot. I post exclusive cartoons and exclusive podcasts and all sorts of stuff. It's a dollar to subscribe. That's it. So patreon.com slash plush studios. Uh, and the, the podcast that I do is on there, which is mostly just me bullshitting with my wife and making fun of her or talking to other artists in town, ta- like artists all around the world <laughs> about comics or movies or whatever they've been working on. So yeah, that's, that's my game. Awesome, man. That's a lot of awesome stuff. Please go check out. Mr. Josh Stifter. Right on. Thanks, guys. And other than that, guys, thank you for listening to the Cinema Slayers podcast. Make sure to go to our website, cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Twitter, cinema underscore slayers. Instagram, we're cinema slayers. You know, check us out on Facebook. We do our movie matchups there, which we also have the podcast for the movie matchups. So it's cinema slayers presents movie matchups. And then also, if you ever want any merch for us, go to our Threadless store. We've got a link to that on our website. And, you know, give us a like, review, share, any of that stuff. We really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.